Hello and welcome back to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. And today is a continuation of our theme, our current franchise, which is the Batman franchise. Uh, we've had a bit of a hiatus due to uh, work commitments and the shifting of the lifting, rather, of the COVID restrictions meant that me and James have suddenly got very busy. <laughs> yeah, who <laughs> knew fair. being able to stand outside with other humans would stop us recording inside with no yeah. one? It feels like we used to record a lot, but now when the slightest thing changes we can't be bothered to record <laughs> we're like national rail in a bad weather situation <laughs> yeah there's a snowflake on the line we will not be running the podcast today <laughs> oh it's good to see you james how um, how are you i'm i'm really good i uh, the spring is definitely happening outside which oh it's lovely isn't always it always helps it makes you feel a lot better yeah i would definitely second that i mean i'll tell you something that didn't make me feel better james this film. <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, I was about to call you out when you said a continuation of our uh, theme because I wish they'd done that when they made the yeah. film. That would I have been they'd... better, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have. Um, it's it's a change of direction. Uh, the previous two Batman films we've reviewed were uh, directed by Tim Burton. This film mm-hmm. isn't. This no. is Batman Forever, produced by Tim Burton, but directed yeah. by Joel Schumacher. Yeah, they really did shoehorn the Tim Burton production banner in right at the beginning of the film. Um, Joel Schumacher, uh, did he did he have writing influence on this, or was he, he had? A... Yeah, he had a lot of writing influence, and um, originally, well, he was Tim Burton's pick to replace him. Uh, Tim Burton was going to direct this as his third Batman film, but uh, Warner Brothers didn't like the direction he was going in, so <laughs> they fired him. Imagine that. And uh, that caused uh, Keaton to leave. And Mm. then they quickly realised they were making a mistake, rehired him as a producer, Tim Burton that is, and uh, he picked Joel Schumacher. Mm. Apparently, Michael Keaton met Schumacher and after the meeting decided he didn't want to do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you can see that. You can understand why. Yeah, it's a very strange film. Um, I'm going to read out some stats really quickly as we start. Um, This was given 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb and a whopping 38% on Rotten Tomatoes' website. Oh, it Um, wasn't well received, was it? It's a a very different movie. Um, It's a very different introduction. They kind of stole the Superman titles a little bit at the beginning here. Um, It kind of goes... And flies past the screen at the beginning, which I didn't really yeah. get. I was like, I fucking stole that from Superman. We did that franchise last season. Um, I think as well, I don't know if you agree with me, going back and watching this now, you can instantly tell it's a 90s film that's aimed at kids, um, which is all about toys. Yes. Uh, there's a reason for that, Jake. It looks like a toy advert, doesn't it? In it's a, a 90s film aimed at kids, all about toys, because... Um, McDonald's apparently pulled out of the Happy Meal promotion for the previous Batman film because right, it was okay. too dark. So uh, they they lost a lot of money. That's funny. so. So this film is kind of a response to that, and um, they don't really they don't really take it in a direction that's different to where Batman's been before because there's a lot of effort gone in to make this feel a bit more like the. Adam West Batman TV series. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and it, it's sort of not just surface level stuff. It runs skin deep. It's really oh, interesting. Just, so I just Googled this um, while you were talking. The Batman Forever Cup that you can get from McDonald's when you buy your Happy Meal. And there, there's an assortment of toys. These are all on Google. You can see them. They're all very cheap. Um, Much yeah. like the film. <laughs> there, no, it's, yeah. There are some Batman, um, Catwoman and Penguin ones, which I thought was fun. And Robin. Mm. So they clearly did kind of cash in on that a little bit, maybe, on the yeah. on that front. They they did. And, and they, they tried to capture that Adam West campy style of Batman I, to really massive degrees. Apparently, uh, when Val Kilmer was a kid, he used to visit the studios where the 1960 series was recorded. So even mm. Val Kilmer has a, a link to um, the the Adam West series. So they were really trying to shoehorn as much as they could in there. So, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there, there's some other facts that I'll save for later, but there, no, yeah, yeah, there's a fine. lot of... Um, there's a lot of attempts to to make this a a really purposefully cartoony yeah. uh, superhero film. It is very cartoony. I mean, it starts with the line, um, "Do you want a sandwich for the road, Master Wayne?" And then he goes, "I'll get drive through." And you're like, "Is that a campaign nod?" Like you said about the McDonald's thing. Is that as if to say it's almost like Batman saying, "Go to McDonald's after the cinema." It's the best place to get a cheeseburger. You're like, don't don't be doing endorsements during the middle of this Batman film. This is really shit. Do you not feel that? Do you get that like yeah. vibe from it? Like he sits there and he's like, Batman only drinks Heineken. And it's like, no, no, stop it. it it's it's, <laughs> I hate it's that. got such a plasticky feel to it, hasn't it? Like the yeah. the, the Batmobile it's wobbles cheap. about. Um I have a Batmobile fact. Uh, if you if you if you like this, so the uh, Swiss surrealist painter H.R. Geiger, uh, yeah, the guy alien, on the he did alien stuff, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, he provided a version of the Batmobile, but it was considered too sinister for the film. Oh, I so, want to see this now. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a picture of it. Otherwise, I would I would send it to you. But and uh, that was one of the uh, the little tidbits yeah. of facts that I found. So. We could have had an H.R. Geiger-designed Batmobile. Ha, that would have been I want, cool. I want to see that, because what we have is it looks like some of the Batmobile from the Tim Burton films has been mm. left behind, and Joel Schumacher sort of Swiss-cheesed it and inserted neon everywhere. Yeah, he's carved out some glass panels in it, uh, put some new spokes, some new rims, and made it cheap and plasticky and put a big spoiler on the back. It, yeah, it's very odd. Um I would just thought for you, for you as well, I'd, I'd ask. There's a bit where, well, obviously during the title sequence uh, in the introduction of the film, the music was done by Elliot Goldenthal. Remember him? No, because nobody does. No. <laughs> who, who the no, hell he's... is Elliot Goldenthal? <laughs> I mean, he's not Danny Elfman, is he? <laughs> no, and the score's shit. So I'm yeah. like, oh, it, I've got so it's... many things to talk about this later with the score. Um, Gotham looks stupid. Um and it doesn't suit any of it. Like it's not, it's not gothic. It's not real. It's not campy. Mm. It's almost like a video game, isn't it? It just looks like a video game. It is. The, the film got criticised a lot, apparently, at the time of release for its poor use of CGI. Yeah. Even contemporary reviewers said this isn't great. Uh, it's 
the set design and production design is uh, Barbara Ling, who okay. um, recently received lots and lots of praise for the Tarantino uh, film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh. So she was she was part of that, but um, th- apparently Schumacher uh, gave her control, and yeah. said uh, that he wanted it to look like a mixture of images inspired by the forties and fifties comics, mm. uh, so sort of nineteen thirties architecture of New York, mm. uh, mixed with modern giant to- statues <laughs> yeah giant statues he loved uh, he loved the giant statues he said it gave the city personality and he wanted no. to combine that with modern tokyo which is why we get all the neon like blade because, runner yeah so it's it's 1930s new york meets modern day tokyo um yeah. with literally every building having some form of statue hanging off it do you know the thing I've struggled with, and this is the overarching thing about the Schumacher films, is that we were always told at uni that the biggest problem with filmmakers is when they don't understand the target audience they're aiming at. And I felt like mm. this was a beautiful example of a film that genuinely started out really not knowing what audience it wanted to 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 get. So, to the one hand, it wanted to continue that that dark Tim Burton esque film with the dark villains and because he's got such a good rogues gallery anyway yeah um and and have that in that world so they kept people like gordon and alfred in to make you realize oh it's the same franchise it's the same characters it's just a different look yeah on the flip side like you say they want the endorsement so they want to have sponsorship they want children they want these things on plastic lunch boxes and they want toys it's like okay so it needs to be kid friendly so then we go we're going to make it kid friendly but then we're going to aim it at people that read the comics when they were kids. You know, well, all the kids that were alive now in the 90s didn't read those comics. They might have seen the cartoons. Oh, okay, well, we'll try and make it a little bit more like the cartoon. But what I really want is sexual connotation to make adults laugh. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, you, you just, do you understand what I mean? It's like they pendulumed yeah. across the board to try and cover all bases. And when you do that with a film that has no real target audience, you end up with Batman Forever. <laughs> it, it, that's it's not wrong at all that's exactly i think the 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 process they went through producing the film they must have gone through that thought process Mm. and that's how you end up like where we are and weirdly comics of the 90s famously had a massive slump in popularity and they kept trying to throw things at the wall to see what what could stick and you ended up with um many 90s iterations of the comic book heroes becoming edgier and edgier. Yeah. So I think that's why you you have the edgier look of the the costumes in this film because yeah. they were trying to represent very angular uh looking uh costumes that the comics were doing at the time. So and the, you know, the bat suit and the robin suit they hmm. look pretty polished. They're like power ranger suits. They look pretty yeah. cool, don't they? Like they've got yeah. that kind of um almost like brushed steel look to them. So that they don't look cheap and campy. I would also add that like Burton's one looked more campy than this one, but yeah. yet this one tonally is much campier and much stupid than much stupid than than the previous two. It's a mess. It's a real mess. And it's, they, it's ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's a, a ridiculous <laughs> film. It starts out with this Tommy Lee Jones character. Now you get Tommy Lee Jones in top billing as your villain, right? Mm. You know you're going to get something good. Wrong. 
You don't. You get there's a bit at the beginning where Tommy Lee Jones is taunting like a guard or something in the tower, just right at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And you see him giving some sort of monologue about right and wrong, about good and evil, and about black and white. And he's like, sometimes um, we can't always live on one side of the light and the dark. We have to make a choice. And you're like, oh, okay. So this is how they introduce Two Face, and the, the introduction itself is really good. Mm. And then he. He's got a campy henchman. He has a campy um, assistant played by Vivica Fox. He's got all these stupid things going on. Then he's got like, a, there's a dinner sequence where Two-Face has got two dinners, one good dinner, one bad dinner. And it's like, what dinner do I want today? And you're like, oh, right, no, it's bollocks. Like, yeah. I thought they were going to introduce a really dark character with split personality disorder because that's what they start at the beginning. And it's like I said earlier about the script and about the production. You go, oh, he's got a charred coin with one side that's all charred and one side that's clean. And it's what side is Harvey going to come down on? Great character. No, we just threw all that away in the second act. And and then he starts, and then Tommy Lee kind of starts out being this um, thought provoking and um, really grovelly voiced villain. But by the end of the movie, he's just cackling and going, ah! all the time I just, yeah. couldn't, I just couldn't understand it I couldn't get past it at all it, and he also he's he's the first villain you see and he's the last villain that you give a shit about by the end of the film because they almost do nothing with Two-Faced for the whole middle of the movie do they? Yeah I it's think strange. it's it's very similar to sort of like the problems uh, Raimi had doing his third Spider-Man film where yeah. he introduced too many characters and too mm. many villains especially and you don't give any of them time to really marinate and become you know, a threat to to Batman. I mean the original design for Two-Face um, the, uh, the one of the writers, Les Daniels, he, he said that he's probably the, uh, the most deadly serious of Batman's foes Mm. Um, and then he said Two-Face seemed to disturb even the creators because in the comics that he receives plastic surgery to correct his, his basically his schizophrenia yeah, and his split personality. He has uh, plastic surgery to correct that, so they actually try and undo the madness Two-Face of Two-Face, character, which is, yeah. which is re- really cool. And they, they cover... They, the actual origin in this film is actually more accurate than the one in Nolan's film later. Yeah. Uh, so they they do it in a really quick way. But do you remember the there's a little television yeah. sequence where he gets acid <laughs> thrown in his face? Yeah, they said it's like they said something that he gets boiling acid thrown at him. I'm like, isn't acid just fine? You doesn't need to be boiling acid. Isn't acid yeah, bad anyway? They're but very yeah. obsessed with boiling acid in this film. But, <laughs> they do mention um... <laughs> it several times. But yeah, Harvey's a, uh, an attorney, isn't he? And he gets yeah. acid thrown at him by uh, Salvatore Moroni. And yeah. then that goes on to his face during the court hearing, and that's how he scars his face. And then from then he takes vengeance against bad guys and, and other people. He, he doesn't let anyone loose, and he flips his little coin to decide whether they live or die. Um, I, again, I get on board with that character a lot, and I like that character. We're going to talk about him in the Nolan film later, but mm. I think having seen this version of the character and the cartoon version of the character, love that version, and then and Dark Knight do his version. It's a different again, but yeah, I feel like they just didn't bother with him. It's like he was established at the beginning and then forgotten about throughout the middle of the film and given almost nothing to do. Um he pops up during the um, circus scene and then he kind of buggers off again. 
Um, and I just put the line here. Commissioner Gordon is barely in this movie. He starts the movie by saying to Batman, hello, Batman, this is Dr. Chase Meridian. She's an expert on people with personality disorder. And I can't imagine why you're introducing this random doctor. A, why is this doctor here at this crime yeah. scene? And B, why is this beautiful doctor being introduced to Batman of all people? Does Batman need to know that Gordon is currently in conversation with a psychotherapist about Harvey Dent? I just didn't get any of this. Like on paper, none of this makes any sense. And it's funny whenever in these films, even the Burton ones, when things don't make sense, you can almost be guaranteed that they're film original characters. Yeah. Like Chase Meridian. She doesn't exist in the comics. No, She's of course not. she doesn't. Um, it, apparently Nicole uh, Kidman described her as uh, a criminal psychologist who dresses like Jessica Rabbit. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> if you've have you seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, a long time ago. The woman yeah. with long hair. Yeah. So it's it's a obviously a very comicy film. So yeah, very cartoony, very um, caricature esque. So that was if that's what they were aiming for with this character. They hit the nail on the head, but it doesn't oh, yeah. belong in in a franchise that previously had darker, more serious undertones. It just, and that's why it feels wrong. I think it, it's such a juxtaposition between the female characters you had in Batman Returns to now you've got Chase Meridian, who <laughs> she's even like compared to say Uma Thurman in the next film, she's a a very one-dimensional character. There's not. There's not oh, a lot yeah. to her. There's not I don't think there's anything. Her. I don't think Batman's giving anything to do in this film either. I mean, Val Kilmer is not a good Batman. I'm going to put that straight out there. <laughs> um, he's okay as Bruce Wayne. His performance is certainly very wooden. Um, there's no real emotion in the character, even when he has to confront his um, darkest thoughts. When the Riddler's trying to get his thoughts out of his head, I was like, okay, there's going to be a bit of information. No, no, nothing. It's just a bat flying towards a camera. Yeah. Um, there's a bit then where oh, what have I put in my notes? I put Two Face has minions. James, does every Batman baddie in these movies have to have minions? Why? I, I think, I think they do, and I I have no idea why or how. Two Face one has money for minions because he, <laughs> he he's you know he he was a former DA. He's not built up a vast wealth. I wouldn't imagine. Um, he's also got lairs and like it seems to be fairly large lairs to to keep all his minions and to have his you know two dinners um, <laughs> that yeah, I suppose what's the name Drew Barrymore's the other one isn't she it's Drew yeah. Barrymore and Vivica Fox I think oh no I think Vivica Fox is in the second one sorry I've, I've messed up my notes here never mind I, that, yeah, I'll go back to that later yeah so you've got two Drew... female assistants as well it's it's very very strange. I think um, the 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 idea of of, of Two Face um, in the comics came. It, he's initially he's the DA and he teams up with Gordon and Batman to start putting folks away. But even at that point, when he's the DA, Gordon and Batman don't trust him because they yeah. think he might have killed somebody. In mm. the comics, so there's always this worry that he's actually a psychopath a before yeah. he becomes Two Face. So right, there, okay. there's a, he's he's always had that edge to him. Whereas here, they sort of 
and, and similar to the Nolan ones, they they portray Harvey Dent as you know originally, you know hero type character, uh, when really he the comics did did it better I think because they they present him as a sort of sleaze ball. They yeah. they he he's sort of really good at putting on a an act. Um, I, I and think he's, he's putting on another face. Exactly, and I think that's why mm. then the Two Face character works so well. He was originally in the comics called Harvey, and then he had a nickname Apollo, and his surname was Kent in the first comics. Oh. And they changed it to Harvey Dent later to avoid an association with Clark Kent. Right, that's a good fact. I didn't know. Yeah. That. So um, yeah, <laughs> there's a couple of bits here. The security guard in the boiling acid vault was annoying me. He just kept screaming all the time. I wish Batman had just let him die. Uh, then we go. Um... He was really worried about his shoes, wasn't he? Oh yeah, it was so annoying. <laughs> Then my shoes uh, th- are melting. I said I put in my notes as well. The henchman called Two Face Face, not Two Face or Harvey Two Face or Dent or Harvey Dent, but they call him Face, which I just face. thought was really funny. Hey Face. Um. <laughs> then there's a bit where the Statue of Liberty's in it, uh, and the helicopter flies in Statue of Liberty. Don't know why that's in it. Um. The screenwriters obviously have got no imagination for this cityscape that they've created. That they just put the New York Statue of Liberty in. Yeah, I, I get that Gotham's based on New York in part, but then if you're going to have a Statue of Liberty in it, just call it New York. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't don't bother, don't do that, and then don't do that. Do you know what I mean? Don't put the Statue of Liberty in, and then tell me it's the Gotham Statue of Liberty. I'm like, well, that doesn't work. That's like, <laughs> I just it's pointless. It's absolutely pointless. It's like filming a film in Sheffield, but then having the Angel of the North getting destroyed. And you're like, well, no, because it's set in Sheffield. Why the hell would you put the Angel of the North in there? This is it. Like, I mean, Zack Snyder got so much stick for uh, putting Metropolis and Gotham next to next one to another. Next to each other, yeah. And I'm like, the films have been doing that all the time you know the films have been doing daft things all the yeah. time and and this is one of them isn't it i didn't think that was weird i'm sure we'll talk about that when we do batman vs superman but i didn't yeah. i never thought that was strange um then there's a big billboard that i enjoyed because I, I yawned at this point even though it was like 20 minutes in and the <laughs> billboard says tired eyes use oculash and i was like what the fuck is oculash and is that going to be significant later never comes up no no it's it's not a thing it's not an easter egg do you know when you see, like, in Batman films and you see, like, LexCorp on the side or something, you're like, oh, it's Lex mm. Luthor's company that's going to come up later. No, it doesn't come up. Yeah. No, <laughs> it was it was just a nice big big sign to drive through. Then we see the CGI Gotham Cityscape, which looks like a PS2 game. Um, it's that's so generous. awful. It looks like <laughs> when you're about to play a game on the PS2, PS1, and... The game has an intro to like introduce you to some clip, and then it's the video game, and it's always slightly better graphics than the game, but yeah. not good graphics. I put in my notes, it's like a pre-rendered version of Coruscant from Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> oh, it's awful. Oh, it is. It is. And like I say, it was heavily criticised at the time for for its poor use of CGI. Um. Bruce then goes for a big meeting at Wayne Enterprises. I think it's not the first time we've been in Wayne Enterprises in these films, I think. Um, yes. And it's daytime. It's morning when Bruce arrives. And by the time he finishes his meeting, it's fully nighttime and the bat signal's out. <laughs> so I didn't understand the time frame there at all. Um, <laughs> he, spends a, he just spends a long time talking to each employee. Oh, it's terrible. And then he meets Edward Nigma, um, played by the wonderful um, Jim Carrey, who is not at his finest in this film. 
but if you're a Jim Carrey fan, maybe he is at his finest. I don't know. Um, and then Bruce gets a tube back to Wayne Manor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... I love this section because it's sort of like... You know when people think about the future and they think of flying cars? Yeah. Well, this film was thinking about the future and thinking about voice-activated assistants. Because every yeah. time every time he does something, Bruce says what he wants to happen and it happens, but he never actually completes that thought because he just says, no. chair, and the chair collapses and he slides through the tube. But, it, I mean, <laughs> it must be really awkward if someone just says the words chair in that room. <laughs> and yeah. it just... Or if someone sat at the desk and he goes, Has anyone got another chair? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> It just seems like they've not really thought that through. If someone else sits in Bruce's office and says, Jer, do they end up in the Batcave then? It's really <laughs> strange. I also wanted to figure out, I never asked you this, but is Wayne Manor still kind of within Gotham? Because he gets there pretty quick. And I thought that Wayne Manor was like in the country somewhere. Yeah, it's it is in the country. If you uh, we're mentioning other Batman films again, but it's important. Do you remember in uh, the Nolan Batman films they tease him asking if Wayne Manor's actually in Gotham City? Yeah, 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 vaguely, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's it's a a long a long running joke. I think they even do it in the Batman Beyond uh, animated series. They they make lots of comments about how far out Wayne Manor really is. Right. So Bruce uh, couldn't really build a tube that connects Wayne Manor to Wayne Tower without somebody in Gotham flagging it for planning permission and asking him why does he need a tube yeah, that goes right. from Wayne Tower in Gotham City Centre all the way to the rural <laughs> building of Wayne Manor. <laughs> and why is it linked to your chair, sir? Why is it linked to the underground layer underneath Wayne Manor? Which we only thought was a wine cellar. Yeah, it's it's oh. it's an odd an odd setup, but it it's gets off. him it gets him to the bat signal because it's really really important that he gets there. Yeah, because some really important plot advancing things happen. I know I don't. I, I wish. Don't, I, I feel like you're <laughs> going to be annoyed at me because I can't let this go. But could could Bruce not have kept a bat suit? Somewhere in Wayne Manor, in Wayne Tower, so he didn't have to tube all the way back to Wayne Manor to get his bat suit to then drive all the way back to Gotham. <laughs> it would just, make more sense. It's just he's ridiculous. I mean, he's the greatest uh, detective in the world, uh, supposedly, and he doesn't really think things through. And surely he should just have like a live feed of the bat signal so he can see who's standing there because he's gone there in the hope that there's some sort of criminal activity he can stop and yeah. all it is is Chase Meridian waiting for him yeah uh, Chase is a strange woman she says she likes black rubber suits and bat ears which I thought was a bit odd um, there's not really much here apart from it's basically Chase trying to manipulate Batman into sex mm. um, because and then plot and then we get Bruce Almighty invented 10 years early when uh, Edward Nigma tests his uh, machine on somebody. Um, this is also really funny. In my notes, I wrote Edward Nigma and it's auto-corrected as Edward Angina. So <laughs> I think I'm just going to refer to the Riddler as, as Edward Angina for the rest of my life. I think uh, that's fine. I think that's allowed. Uh, this scene um, is the film's origin story for Riddler. Yeah, it's awful. It it's awful. The comic origin story isn't a million times better, but it is at least more believable. It's not he doesn't get blasted by rays and takes other people's intelligence. 
in the comics, he's a kid who's obsessed with riddles and puzzles. And Mm -hmm. there's a a contest uh, at school. And the teacher says, whoever can solve this puzzle uh, fastest wins a prize. And Nygma breaks into the school at night, keeps practicing and trying to solve this riddle, ready for the Mm -hmm. next day. So basically, he cheats his way into winning this prize. And once he wins the prize... That cheating's been rewarded. He goes out and he's, you know, he he's become, you know, he, he becomes a master of all kinds of puzzles, and he uh, works at a carnival, and steals wow. people's money, and then eventually this just keeps building and building until he realizes he needs a more, uh, you know, uh, effective opponent, so he looks yeah. to Batman, and that's how he it becomes a, a compulsive thing. He just needs oh, to okay. put put riddles there he can't just do crimes he does crimes to set the riddles yeah because he becomes like obsessed with tricking people yeah uh, it, it's it's his thing and i think in more modern comics it's literally it's ocd for yeah, him basically, he, it, yeah, it's, it's literally yeah it's a mental illness in the more modern comics uh jim carrey plays the riddler and he bases his portrayal on frank gorshin who was the guy who played it in the 1960s batman series Okay. Noticing, noticing a theme here, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, e- everyone yeah, was I, sort of really paying homage to that series. Uh, so Jim Carrey was that—that that was his inspiration. Was uh, to look at Frank Gorshin's, uh, to be fair, Emmy-nominated portrayal. Yeah, of, he's of, not. Of I love, I love Carrey's performances because of the amount of energy he puts into everything, and like. He's the only one, I think, in any of these Batman films so far whose jokes land quite well. Yeah. And they do land well. I did find myself giggling at a few of his stupid puns. Um, Like, the only one I laughed at was when Jack Nicholson says, hot under the collar, after he electrocutes that bloke with the um, taser, which I thought was wonderful. But there's a few Riddler moments that are genuinely funny. And because he's so mad, you almost... The suspension of disbelief of like that's Tommy Lee Jones being an idiot and with the makeup on his face. I can't mm. get past it. But once Carey throws himself into full Riddler mode, you almost do suspend belief because he's just so manic that you think, well, maybe he is mental. Yeah, <laughs> do you know I, what I mean? think I think that's that's why it, his character works so well. I think because he's pulling from the sixties animated show it's 60s uh, tv yeah. series rather he's pulling from from that source and in this world in this particular film's world that works i think mm-hmm. it lands really well uh, you see other versions of the character like in the batman animated series he's a calmer more intellectual guy so he's yeah. he's more i guess he's more like lex luthor yeah um, genius. He's a genius, and he's obsessed about proving his own cleverness, um, mm. rather than just sort of creating random funny puzzles. Because let's be fair, the the riddles that the Riddler uses in this film, not really riddles. <laughs> no, <laughs> I thought them. this. They're not. They're cryptic questions, but they're not riddles. Yeah, I mean, they they don't require a lot of thought. Again, no, Batman, kids, world's greatest get, uh, detective. It takes him a few seconds to realise that, you know, a thing that doesn't have 13 on it is a clock. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. very, very poor riddles from the um, Riddler. 
Bruce then hears fighting noises and breaks into Chase's office. Um, mm. And then they start talking about Two-Face. Um, does this when Chase says something about Two-Face's coin? And I'm like, shut up, Chase. You didn't see his coin. You were like a hundred foot below. <laughs> There's no yeah. way you saw any of that action uh, in the tower that night. And then we get like, this is where like all these Batman movies, a lot of a lot of the Batman movies, you get a action sequence with Two-Face, you get the Riddler's uh, set up, you get Chase, then you get Bruce and about 40 minutes of exposition where nothing in the plot really happens. Um, mm-hmm. There's a Rorschach uh, and, he go, and he goes, oh, is that a bat? And she's like, no, it's a Rorschach. I'm like, fuck off, Chase. That's a bat. <laughs> like, <laughs> I could Google a Rorschach. A <laughs> That's not a Rorschach. That is just a squiggle of a bat. Um, and then the doll she gives Bruce is basically a Two-Face doll, isn't it? Just yeah. weird. Um, does, Sh- does Schumacher like have any idea what goes on in psychiatrists' um, offices and things? Because I think he really should have seen one after making this dribble. <laughs> it's it's odd, isn't it? I mean, the, the fair enough. She's got a boxing bag in her office, but James, psychiatrists she... don't get voodoo dolls out of boxes for patients. That just no. wouldn't happen. Well, if you've got a patient who's dealing with anger issues. Surely mm. showing that you have anger issues of your own that you're working through isn't the right place to start from. Yeah, sometimes that kind of empathy is not helpful. Yeah, I, I don't understand I, I don't understand this this scene very much at all. It's <sighs> like I say it's a, it's very exposition heavy. It's you know, just to point out that Two Face has a coin, in case you yeah. missed it earlier. He's yeah. definitely got a coin. It's yeah. important and it will <laughs> probably come up later. Uh, it's it's sort of holding your hand through the story. Yeah. Isn't it? So after this, I was like, great. At least we've set up all the characters. And then Bruce takes it to the fucking circus, <laughs> and I'm like, we're 35 minutes in, and now we're in- introducing the Graysons, which is basically Robin. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know Robin was in this one. I I couldn't remember this film at all. So I didn't ask you about this, did I? Before we went no. into to watching this, and I actually said to you last week before filming that we that we were recording that we'd got. Um, that Batman and Robin wasn't the one that Robin was in. He was in both of them. And I didn't know this. Um, and then Two-Face comes in to cause a ruckus with a perfectly round bomb, which looks ridiculous. Um, and Bruce gives up his Batman identity like straight away in full view of the whole of Gotham, including the mayor, Chase, and Commissioner Gordon. But nobody hears this. Um, no, it, it, he's he's sort of drowned out, isn't he, by everyone screaming. Yeah, and then Dick Grayson disposes of the stupid bomb, and all his family just fall to their death. Uh, and yeah, uh, yes, I think there's a line here as well where someone says, "I'll blow you halfway to Metropolis," and I was like, oh, "That's quite a good reference. That's a Superman reference that I enjoyed." <laughs> um, so yeah, then we get Dick Grayson moves in with Bruce because plot. Yeah, he's he's a a, a moody. Is he meant to be a teenager? Because he doesn't look all that much younger than Val Kilmer in this film. He's about 35. Yeah. We'll accept that he's about 15. Yeah, because, I mean, he's meant to be, like, boy wonder, isn't he? And he's, he's, he's not really boy anything at this stage. No, um, he's really cool, James. He, like, he likes motorcycles. He's handsome. He wears a little earring like boy bands of the 90s. He, yeah. And that the, I don't know whether they they planned this or if it was just pure coincidence but the comic book graysons because the flying graysons are a, a thing in comics okay are uh traditionally uh mother mary grayson father john grayson and son dick grayson 
this set of Graysons, there's a brother involved. <laughs> now, the, the the brother Grayson, I forget his name because it's not overly important, but yeah. the person playing his brother is the stunt double for the guy playing Dick Grayson. Oh, okay. So I, I just I just assume that he was on set anyway, and he was wearing the same costume. They thought <laughs> we'll just use you. Do you want to just be a brother that doesn't exist? Yeah. Oh, so that's they, great. Ju- they just made up a brother, and it's 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 great. I mean, I I think it was probably the wisest move they made in the film because otherwise he's just sat around the the set not doing yeah. much. Do you know what as well? Like after this, there's the scene with Bruce and and Dick and Alfred, and then Two Face in his lair again. And this is where Riddler takes over the lair. And (sighs) (laughs) like I've never done that during an episode with you ever. Mm. Like I've never ever sat through this 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 podcast with 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 our listeners and gone. (sighs) But (laughs) now it's usually my job. This whole sequence was fucking awful. Um, just Tommy Lee Jones picking up a paycheck from Warner's, isn't it, really? Yeah. Like, what is he doing there? They... This is terrible. The cartoon that I used to watch of Batman as a kid is yeah. definitely more realistic than this whole film. Oh, absolutely. I think what if, if you haven't yet managed to be thrown completely out of the film world that you're supposed to be in, this scene where they have... What Jim Carrey's character is claiming is a set-top box, but in actual fact looks nothing like a set-top box yeah. <laughs> of any description. Um, and he's sticking parts of the set-top box on people's foreheads, and it makes a plunger noise as he does it. And you think, yeah. this is this is pure sort of Laurel and Hardy slapstick <laughs> nonsense. What is this doing in my Batman film? And yeah. why isn't it stopping anytime soon? Because it yeah. just gets worse. What is? Can, I, can we talk about this really quick? What is the blender that he puts on people's head? I completely didn't understand any of this. So it manipulates brain waves. Yes. For, for what? What's the purpose of it? So I think the film logic is that Edward Nigma is then able to tap into people's thoughts and it borrows intelligence. So this right. is supposedly how he gets his smarts because uh, he borrows it from other people. So he's putting this everywhere in Gotham so he can borrow the intelligence of everybody in Gotham. Mm. I think it, you know... It seems like there's probably better ways, like you could target the really smart people and maybe ignore the not so smart people, but he's just blanket bombing everybody with this free set top box. Again, not entirely sure, except for the brief little spree of robbing that occurs between yeah. him and Two Face, where he gets the money for all these set top boxes, and why isn't there any sort of investigation into this brand new multimillionaire that's just arrived on the scene? who's yeah. got his own company, who basically copies Bruce's look down to... The, there is a funny bit where he, he asks uh, Drew, where, um, where when they're at the gala, he asks Drew about his mole that he stuck on his face to try and mimic Val Kilmer's mole, which I thought was quite yes, funny. Yes, I thought that was quite funny as well. I have that written in my notes. But um... <laughs> it's it, th- That's the progression of this film, though, isn't it? It, go, it goes downhill, downhill, and the only bright spots are Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey. Yeah, because uh, he's like a bit of like relief in a film that's just like 
It'd be like going to watch Jim Carrey and Panto. You don't really care about the Panto because you're just caught up with the Jim Carrey being funny. Yeah. And I find that that's like a lot of Jim Carrey films. In Pet Detective, you know, Ace Ventura. You're not really bothered about the plot because you came to see Jim Carrey as, as Ace Ventura. That's what you came to see. But this um, film sort of falls flat on so many levels. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's barely saved by either Jim Carrey or references to better previous films. Yeah. Uh, and I that's... thought the laundry scene was terrible. That was, I think, that was the low point for me when I had to turn off the film <laughs> and go and do something with, you know, because me and Natalie are selling our house and stuff. I went and did some errands and then came back in the evening and watched the ending because I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And, you, you um, mean you weren't tempted to try and dry your clothes in the Robin style of drying clothes? <laughs> if anyone's listening to this now, go and Google. You put into YouTube. Batman Forever laundry scene, just so you understand the context of what I'm talking about, because it is bloody awful. <laughs> um, yeah, then we spend half this movie between Bruce and Chase uh, and Dick trying to convince Bruce to make him a superhero, which is really dull and boring. Um, then Bruce knocks over a rose, which makes him think of his mum and dad. But, James, yeah. knocking over the rose makes me think of something else. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm talking... About the film, sorry, the film soundtrack, which is the song um, from Seal, Kiss from a Rose by Seal. Yes. Um, Do you have any facts for me about why the hell that song is attached to Batman Forever? And furthermore, why it's not in Batman Forever, it's just in the credits. That that is that is its only link to the film, isn't it? It's in the credits. And I think because... Great song. Great song. I think because obviously the original, you know, Tim Burton Batman had Prince doing the soundtrack. Mm. Uh, you, you've got more sort of involvement of Danny Elfman in the second one, so you had real kudos there. Uh, yeah. They they needed a a hit song to go with the film. Uh, they they do it in the next film as well. I've got I have got more facts about that one, but this one is, uh, as far as I know, just there to have a big name attached to because Seal was huge at the time. Oh yeah, massively, and, and it's such a good song. Yeah, it was a massive song on its own in its own right. I, in fact, despite the film, I think <laughs> it was yeah. it was a good song. Yeah, so you you have the 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 rose scene. You you have probably the fiftieth iteration of um, his parents being killed. Yeah, uh, where they don't use any footage from Batman. <laughs> they just <laughs> create their own facsimile. Of uh, Jack Napier shooting it in smoke, they don't use the original footage at all. Why not? You, they must have access to it. It was their studio. You made, yeah, you made it like the other year. Yeah, <laughs> surely. I think that like you said it's that thing of going. We're not not following the chronology, but we're not making a direct sequel to Batman Forever. Uh, sorry, Batman yeah. Returns. Um, oh, there's a bit where they break into the house on Halloween, and like you said. It just descends to get more and more stupid as it goes on. Do, do you not what, just feel sorry for the guy that plays Alfred? Yeah, in that scene. It's just like he gets bonked on the head. Yeah, I just I, I'm like that guy's a legit actor, yeah. and he's got bonked on his head by Tommy got, Lee Jones in yeah. a fur suit and the Riddler walking around in a green pajama outfit with question marks all over it. He deserves um, better. <laughs> it's. Uh, then there's a bit where um, Riddler blows up the 
Batcave, which is pretty cool. Like, yeah. it adds a bit of jeopardy to the film that was never there before, where two of the villains have managed to infiltrate Bruce's actual house. And I think, doesn't Riddler find out who Bruce is via the mind tank the, blender thing? The, yeah, the, the, the set-top box blender, whatever it is. Because, yeah, at, yeah. At, a, at a party... Um, yeah, he, we missed that bit. Yeah, Bruce goes into the Riddler's box of magic tricks and and it reads his mind briefly. Um, th- this was the bit I was referencing where they make a reference to a much better film because yeah. uh, Batman has a really cool entrance and the Riddler tells Two-Face, your entrance was good, his was better. Another good line, I like that. Um, but it's it's their it's their version of the first films. Where does he get such wonderful toys? And yeah. it, it just doesn't. It's not as cool as the Joker's. Where does he get such wonderful toys? But it's their version of that. And you just think, yeah, I'd rather be watching that film. Those, those first two films were so exciting. And it's like you said, this just makes me sad because I've realised that there's a lot of money been thrown at this. Mm. And it's just sort of shat out onto the cinema screen with, like you say, puns and neon. And it's terrible. And then there's a, yeah, so they destroy the Batcave. Um, Jim Carrey shouts out the word joygasm and then throws a bomb into the back, um, the Batmobile and blows that up. But it's fine because Batman's got like loads of other um, things he can drive. So it's like, okay, so there's no jeopardy really. Yeah. Um, we're about two hours in when this happens. And then, finally at the end, Batman and Robin team up to go after Two-Face and Riddler together. Riddler ends up in a diamond-encrusted cat suit for no reason that looks like either the prelude to a porno from the 80s or some kind of RuPaul's Drag Race DC crossover. It, it's, it's all very strange. Uh, this is the bit where you start to realise it's just a toy commercial. Because yeah, it is. They, yeah. they go in, they get in different vehicles because more toys... Uh, they get different outfits because more toys, um, and and then they arrive at the finale, which is a kind of a letdown in a lot of ways. But it does have my, uh, for me, the one saving grace is it's one of my favorite "I'm Batman" speeches because mm. Val Kilmer throughout the whole film he's a decent Bruce Wayne, he's not a great Batman, but this I think. It shows an understanding of of Batman as he's not Bruce Wayne dressing up as Batman, yeah, and he's not Batman pretending to be Bruce Wayne. He's both, yeah. and like Two Face, he's these two characters all the time. Um, and the only real mask he wears is the Bruce Wayne to the public. Uh, so it, the Val Kilmer's "I'm Batman and Bruce Wayne, and I can't decide. You can't make me because I'm both." Um, I think that's a really cool moment. Yeah, I do. I agree. I like that bit. I also thought that the way they dealt with Two-Face at the end was pretty good. Um, yeah. They do put Robin and Chase Meridian into some Perspex tubes, which is very much like they were prizes on a game show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or that bit in the Crystal Maze where you have to grab the tickets flying around. <laughs> you um... just stood outside the room yelling at Batman, no, the other way. Yeah, what happened really was I was expecting, um, what's his name, to walk in, um, Schofield, and they were going to go into the cube, <laughs> and Robin was going to have to balance something on his arms and walk across a room. Um, oh. There's a bit where they, yeah, so they, like, Two-Face does nothing throughout the entire climax of the film, apart from stand behind Riddler and go, ah, 
and make noises, which is really weird. If you go yeah. back and watch it, like I couldn't get past that. It was pathetic. And it just gives you that thing of they really forgot what to do with Two-Face with Tommy Lee Jones. So yeah. They just said, you're going to be the guy that kills Robin, but then you don't get to kill Robin because Robin gets the better of you. Uh, and then they fall down the tower. Batman catches them in some terrible CGI. Yep. And then Harvey flips his coin to decide whether to kill them or not. And Bruce just gets some random coins out of his bat suit (laughs) and throws them at Two-Face. He obviously then can't find the coin that he threw, so he just falls to his death. (laughs) I love the fact that Batman somehow has the foresight to put in many coins into his utility belt. Just in case that ever comes up. Yeah. It's or great. unless he used to pay a toll when he's driving his Batmobile. <laughs> oh God! It's it's such a like I say, it's a bit of a oh that's how, that that's how you dealt with that bad guy. It's 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 an anticlimax and like the whole I, thing's I think, daft. Yeah, they 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 really missed an opportunity with Two Face and like I say, mm. all he does is cackle and not really do much and pull faces at the camera and it, it, it's all the more frustrating when you realise that um you know. Between shots, Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones didn't get on very well at all. And it was mostly due to Tommy Lee Jones, who apparently told Jim Carrey, I hate you, I can't condone your tomfoolery. Mm. And you think, well, all you did in this film was tomfoolery. You brought nothing to the table in this film at all. Yeah. So, you know, other roles he's done absolutely got acting chops for days, I'm sure. Yeah, but just don't in, do comedy, Tommy. You can't do yeah. comedy. In this don't film, do yeah, he's, he's, he's not... I don't think he was the draw he was expecting to be, and he was probably a bit miffed that Jim Carrey was being so successful at the time. Yeah, yeah This was sort of peak Jim Carrey, wasn't it, for... Yeah, mid-90s. For, for all of his acting roles. This was really where he was taking off, and... He is successful in this film, I think, because he understood that it was basically a Scooby-Doo version of Batman. Yeah, and he played that to perfection, really. When yeah. you think about the the script he was given and the direction he was given, that is what we get. And it's even more prevalent when we get to the, the next film, which we'll talk about uh, in the next episode. But, there's a, yeah, it just... There's, like, bits that I enjoyed. Like, I like that they put... They put Jim Carrey, uh, the Riddler, in Arkham Asylum. We get to see Arkham again. Um, yeah, and then Chase gets to be an actual psychiatrist for once and go to Arkham, which is probably where she's supposed to be all the time. <laughs> and she asks, "They said Riddler knows who Batman is and he's going to tell you." And she and she she says something to him like, oh, "It's Doctor Chase. Do you remember me?" And he says, "How could I forget?" In the really beautiful low voice yeah. of that thing of going, "Is he just gone mad? Like, or what? Is he evil? Is he clever? Has he gone mad?" And then. You see him, she asks him, who is Batman? And he says, I'm Batman, and just starts flapping his suit around yeah. in the jail cell. I really got a kick out of that. I thought that was a really good little... It it had a... It pays homage to a lot of those comic book films that we've seen before. But also, there's a scene, and we'll talk about it later, with Batman versus Superman, where Batman threatens Lex Luthor in the prison. And it, it mirrors that scene of going, I know who you guys are. Yeah. But I'm going to hold off that information until I need to use it. And I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Um, Two-Face dies. Um, Bruce gives Chase the doll back. What the hell the point of that doll was in the first place, I have no idea. It doesn't do anything. He never looks at it. It never becomes plot relevant. No. And yeah, and then it kind of ends with some 90s credits. Yeah, and that's it. And it's 
it's a film that happened, and yes. and 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 we watched it. I, I don't <laughs> think you can say any more than that about this film. Oh no! Oh no! What? One more thing. One more Go thing. Because on. if I don't say this, I'll I'll hate myself. But guess who was offered the role of the Riddler? I know what you're gonna say. I already know what you're gonna say. Robin Williams. Robin did Williams. To, did he tell them to shove it up their ass? Yeah, basically. He, he was still resentful because they'd used him as bait over Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson getting the Joker yeah. role. So yeah, absolutely right. He told them no. I'm I'm pleased that he did because although I reckon a Robin Williams Riddler would be fantastic and probably quite similar in many ways to the uh, Batman TV series. Yeah. I think what, you know we, what? what we got I, was what they deserved. Yeah, I was thinking about what you said last week, uh, last episode with the. Um, do you know how? Um, what's his name? Um, who played the villain in Batman Returns? Not Danny DeVito. Um, Walken, Christopher Walken. Yeah. My mind's completely gone blank. And Walken plays that stupid character Shrek. But you said to me that he could have been Harvey Dent, and then Catwoman would have scarred him at the end. And yeah. it would have led into Batman Forever. How cool would it have been if it was um, that character, that, that you know, yeah. being Two Face um, instead of it being the camp Tommy Lee Jones? And then uh, similarly, I figured if they'd cast an older Tommy Lee Jones to be Two Face in The Dark Knight, it would probably would have been really good because he's a really intense actor. Yeah. Um, but just bad timing and poor direction, terrible script. It just didn't work, did it? No, I kind of feel sorry for Billy D. Williams as well because he was Harvey Dent. Mm, and he got completely sidelined. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of people who were let down by this film. Um yeah. one of which is not Batman creator Bob Kane. Apparently he was a big Schumacher fan. Oh god. Yeah. Who could love this? Well, apparently the guy who invented Batman liked it, you know. Or at least he always said very nice things about it when asked. We don't I, I wouldn't want to say that he loved it, but uh from yeah. interviews I've read he was because I, I think the next film, um, Batman and Robin, I think was the last Batman film Bob Kane actually saw himself. Oh. So, uh, yeah, it didn't really end on a high. But... No, it didn't. I also have one thing I left out of my notes, which was if you go back and look at some of the film shots, Val Kilmer, when he's Batman, can never close, uh, can never keep his mouth closed. It's always open. It's just <laughs> a gape all the time. And I found it really off-putting throughout the film. <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, that's all I've taken from it really, and uh, I'm sure. I mean, I was going to say to you, and I I can't say it without laughing because I've already watched Batman and Robin, and we're going to review that next. But I didn't think we'd ever watch a film on this podcast that was worse than Batman Forever. (laughs) Until next week, people. (laughs) Oh, just you wait. It gets worse. (laughs) Right, let's go, James. I'll see you next week for Batman and Robin. Bye. See you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.